On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Locke. Rebecca coaches and supports athletes transition out of sport. She's a passionate mental health and well-being advocate, a swimming coach, and a seasoned recruiter. So, Rebecca, absolutely delighted to have you on. Um, we've been speaking on LinkedIn and got to know each other only recently. I think you commented on some of my posts. I've done the same for yours. Yeah. And really intrigued to get to know you, actually, find out a bit more about you. Um, last month, I did a series in interviewing inspirational women. And looking Yeah, at, I saw that. Thank you. Yeah, looking at some of your stuff on LinkedIn, I'd, I'd, I already deem you as an inspirational woman, but I'd love to, woman, I'd love to learn a bit more about that. So, I guess if it's okay with you, just just give me a bit, me a bit of a background as, as to your kind of um, your experiences and what you're up to now. That's all right. Yeah. Um, oh, I always find this question really daunting because it feels like uh, I've had several different lives. So I kind of try to break it down. Um, so I was born in the UK in the South, but um, quite early on, I've got two. Uh, I would just call them pioneering parents. Um, decided that they didn't want to bring us up in a white middle-class sort of southern UK town. So we moved to Jakarta because that's wow. what you do. <laughs> As you do. Um, naturally. Um, and they weren't, you know, my parents' teachers or were teachers. So they didn't do anything, you know, that they didn't invent the wheel or anything, but they just decided that they wanted us to experience different cultures um different ways of living so we moved to Jakarta in the middle of um a civil war actually so during that period we were um evacuated once we were shipped back to the UK we went back out there it was uh, a quite interesting period yeah and then we moved to Bangkok um so I did my GCSEs there and during that time I'd sort of started swimming full-time and I was making some national teams and things like that. So I really wanted to come back to the UK and board um, to get involved in some of the, you know, high profile competitions in the UK. Um, so I did um, very much to my parents. Uh, they really didn't want me to. They were really, really unsure about it. But um, yeah. I'm kind of that person that if I want to do something, you're going to just let, have to let me do it. <laughs> um, so I came back to the UK and boarded while I swam. Um, and my my major passion, although I love swimming, was to help other people to swim really well. I just, more than being a, a swimmer, I wanted to be a coach. And mm. I think it was probably because I'm dyslexic and I really struggled at school. And when I found swimming, uh, things sort of fell into place for me. I felt valued. I felt like I had a spot in the world. And I kind of wanted to give that back, I think, because my first coach really believed in me. So that kind of what I wanted to do for somebody else. So I wanted to coach back then in the UK. So we're talking like 20 odd years ago now. There wasn't many routes for coaches to go down and it wasn't really deemed as like a professional career especially in swimming it's not a big spectator sport so um I saved up all the money I could after university and I went over to the US on a 90-day visa I turned up at like one of the biggest um teams in the country and I just said look I will just fill up water bottles and watch for 90 days I just want to experience it and then I ended up staying in the US for five years got uh, several assistant positions got into division one coaching which in the US is quite a big deal and it's some amazing experience mm. what my master's paid for so that was amazing and I just you know had 
I really learned my craft there. Um, and then I got headhunted to Singapore. So I had another massive change. Yeah. Um, and I set up two teams in, the, in Singapore. So I set up a British team linked with the British International School and then an Australian team. And they were both very different to American sports. So Division One college sport is all high-end. You probably only coach about 20 to 30 swimmers. Um, so in Singapore, I set up teams from kids that were like seven years old all the way through to 18, from grassroots all the way through to nationals. Wow. Wow. With 700 kids and, you know, a full, you know, maybe like 12 or 15 assistant coaches. So massive programs. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have much of a life, but, um, you know, just I loved it. And it was another massive experience. And um, then after a while, I sort of spent five years there. I felt like I really needed to focus more on the high end. I really wanted to have performance kids rather than maybe sort of age group kids I wanted to focus on more of the top end and by this point I was 30 and hadn't really spent much time in the UK so I decided to come back to the UK um so that's five years ago now um and I became a head coach for a club team here mm -hmm. and then I spent a good couple of seasons with them and we had some really nice national champions and some really you know fast swimming um but I just kind of had lost myself a little bit mm. in um giving everything to your athletes and you're touring the country most of the time and yeah. you don't have much of a social life you're getting up at four in the morning um and I just I really needed to find who I was um and in Singapore I'd been through a bit of a well, quite a major life-changing experience. And I'd lost, I lost my partner. He died in an accident in Singapore. Oh, wow. So, Sorry to hear that. That's okay. So actually, it's the anniversary of his death today. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I know. Wow. So it's, it's, but it's fine. It's eight years ago now. So mm. it's a lot of time in between. And you just sort of, you know, that's why I say it feels like many lifetimes because I feel like <laughs> I've had so many mm. different um, massive experiences. So I think because of that, it makes you really question what's important and what's your purpose and why do you get up every day? And it sounds really cliche, but until it really happens to you, um, it's it's so life-changing, those types of experiences, because you suddenly realise like, you know, family is everything, love is everything, and just sharing your life with someone is the most important thing in the world. So I just, I needed to back off from swimming and I needed to get some perspective back and find mm -hmm. myself. So I just took some time out and I realised that I think there was so much wrapped in my identity of being a swimmer and then living vicariously through swimmers. And I just really lost who I was and what I was, you know, here for, I think. Yeah. So I fell into recruitment, <laughs> right. a bit like you. Another um, one. <laughs> yeah, I fell into recruitment and I did that for a couple of years. And I just sort of realized through the pandemic that it wasn't making my soul sing, you know, yeah. that kind mm -hmm. of feeling. And I really thought, gosh, should I be going back to coaching? And I thought, I really don't want to do that. So what is it? And then I've kind of over time realized that helping athletes transition from sport 
um, and and high performance coaches taking that transition out of sport is really really hard and and you need a lot of guidance and you need a lot of help and you actually don't realize that and the people that are in sport full-time they don't realize that it's so hard when you leave yeah and we're not really told you know you're gonna you're gonna need to have some sort of direction and you're gonna need to navigate the world after sport at some point (laughs) so um I've kind of been looking at that and been setting up um, sort of a little side hustle at the moment around that, Um, working with a couple of uni kids at the moment who are studying in sport, or they're not studying in sport, but sport's been a massive part of their life, and they're kind of trying to understand how to navigate being 20 and full-time, you know, sport or full-time education and social and just being an adult. Um, So we've been doing a bit of that. And then I've just recently, my day job, um, I'm working with Mind. Right, wow. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, so um, a lot going on at the moment. (laughs) What are you doing with Mind, can I say? Yeah, so they've got a service called iTalk, which is mainly in Hampshire, um, where patients will self-refer or GPs will refer. Um, And so I talk to patients and find out, you know, how they're feeling and their symptoms and what they're going through. And then I'll direct them into kind of, we've got a couple mm. of different stages. So I helped, uh, I'm basically the middleman really between practitioners and the patients to understand what help they need. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that in a very condensed fashion. I'm sure there's a lot more you wanted to say, but I mean, there's there's a lot there uh, in quite headline form, the whole kind of civil war in Jakarta. How old, how old were you when that was happening again? Um, so we moved out when I was eight and I was there wow. sort of three years. So between, yeah, quite a formative years. Um, bit mm. yeah. Before we go on to the more recent stuff, which is obviously horrific, um, you mentioned quite early in your narrative there about wanting to give something back. I just want to, I just want to sort of delve into that a little bit more. Why? Uh, and what, 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 what prompted that? Because you, you wanted to give something back from a very early age. Is there any mm. reason behind that at all? I think... I I think if I look back to my childhood, um, I would say I've always been a little bit troubled or a little bit, you know, I'm not quite sure if I fit in or, you know, I've always been emotional. People have always called me sensitive, which now I understand is not a bad thing. And I'm mm-hmm. very aware of my emotions and I process things, you know, in the way that I process things. Yeah. And I think I really just felt like, I want to make sure people feel valued and a part of something. And if they do look at things differently, that's okay. And work through that. And I, I think that's always what it's been about, whether that's been the form of swimming or being a coach in swimming, or whether that's been a form of helping an athlete understand that they're leaving sport behind. Yeah. I think it's always just been about wanting to help that person. I think that's right. I'm, I'm getting a hell of a lot of kind of purpose and some intrinsic pain and trauma, but also some gratitude from you as well around. Oh, yeah. It feels as if you're very grateful for the skin that you're in, the human that you are, the people you have around you and what you've achieved. But you've also got some some trauma and you're kind of using that trauma as your drive and your pain. But also you want to break free from that trauma by 
by sort of giving back and I mean talk to me about that because I mean I'm what I'm trying to say I'm going I'm going for the same thing around I, I've had a lot of trauma as you probably know and I've used mm. that to drive me forward but now I'm learning to park that baggage and that trauma and actually move towards something a bit a bit more kind of um instead of using the trauma to drive me I, I can use it to, to inspire me and help me it doesn't have to, doesn't have to always be there what do you think yeah yeah I I like really align with that because I think for a long time I've used trauma as not an excuse but to feel that heaviness and I think it's only recently where I've realized that yes it's a part of me yes I've got some pretty deep battle scars from it but mm. there's a reason and mm. I'm I'm the way I am now because of that and because I grew through it and I always think you know look you can be you can be really resentful and pretty bitter when yeah. you've you know had a really bad experience or tragedy and you, you know you've got two choices and I've not I've not always been grateful absolutely not but I think yeah. when I look back you know, like the early experiences moving abroad very young and having sort of that disruption. I mean, yes, it's there. But on the other hand, my parents were and are just so amazing to give us that type of experience and to keep wanting to push us and open our eyes to different places and experiences and cultures and adventure. But they've also been unbelievably supportive through everything and they're so open-minded and they've got such an amazing growth mindset. Yeah. That that's why we spoke quite a lot as kids and have been able to be aware of these issues, you know, if you want to call them issues. And then that's where I think I've been able to work through them now as an adult. Okay. Because you also mentioned as well, um, finding yourself. And I mean, I've used that term before as well. And I, I, I almost like, when and if I do find myself I wonder what I'm going to do after that it's kind of like isn't it isn't, yeah. isn't, isn't it always an evolving thing though isn't it for me yeah. personally it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one that isn't it but yeah I definitely don't think you know it's not linear and we don't like ever arrive I don't yeah. ever go oh here I am now I'm done <laughs> <laughs> I can stop progressing now yeah. I think it's always yeah you're right always evolving and I think I've had to do I do so much work all the time and sometimes I do less work because it feels easier doesn't it and then sometimes right. you feel a bit stuck and maybe a bit rigid and I think oh what's going on there to yeah. do a bit of, you know delving around and figuring that out and then you get a little breakthrough and then you think oh that's what it was so I think that's how I always work yeah for me it's been a bit of a dichotomy um I've always related success uh through having to work really 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 bloody hard and it's only recently that I realized actually I don't need to kind of cook my goose to actually achieve mm. what I want to achieve and I think I think that's that down to a worthiness thing you know seeking acceptance all the time what I'm getting from you is that you know you've got this in, inherent passion and desire to make a difference and make an impact on other people's lives and sometimes when we're like that certainly from my experience it can be to the detriment of our own kind of self-care mm. and self um self-love really so how is that how when you talk about finding yourself and how how has that changed in, in terms of the respect you have for yourself or talk about talk to me about your own personal kind of self-care and self self-worth journey if you like yeah um I think that's really evolved more in the last year because mm -hmm. of the pandemic um so every single morning I do the miracle morning practice I don't know if you've heard no of I've heard of this yeah yeah 
Um, so six till seven every single day. Um, do a bit of meditation, do gratitude, affirmations, some reading, and then have a bit of dance just to wake up <laughs> and have some uplifting music. Um, and that side in terms of affirmations is the confidence bit and the what you put out to the universe you get back in, which mm. I always thought sounded so unbelievably fluffy and, you know, um, out there. But yeah. since I've been doing it, it's just, it's really worked for me. And it's just, you know, I've things, things have just sort of, you know, someone sent me an email and I've been like, oh, I was thinking about that yesterday. You know, those yeah. types of things. Of um, but boundaries is a massive one. I think I've learned the hard way and, continually have to work on so I'm I'm a real people pleaser and I like want to give all the time um and that's where like as a coach I just gave way too much and just had very little you know for myself and any relationships for such a long time and so now you know I really I want to help all the time and I'm one that will just get sucked in but I have to really be strict with Mm you know, my boundaries and cutting off and saying, actually, no, Miracle Morning is really important. Yeah. And then I, I, I need to exercise every day and I need to do it in the morning. So it's not until that's done that then I can open myself up to other people. And, you know, it's, and it, sometimes I have to just remind myself of it. And I know if I'm, if I'm not keeping on top of it, then the first, pe- it's people around me that first notice it more than I do it's like a it's like a muscle isn't it i think i think it's more dangerous it's almost more dangerous when you're doing really well it's a bit like who coaches the coach who leads the leader and i I think it's you know sometimes when we think everything is going well we can get complacent and i think you know i think it is about consistency it's about discipline Mm -hmm. i do i do similar routines as well um i want to delve a bit more deeper into 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 your bereavement which sounds you know awful and if you're comfortable i know it's the anniversary as well which which doesn't doesn't help but what what happened and how did you get through that or how are you getting through that should i say um it was eight years ago now um so sometimes it just feels like a different lifetime ago and then sometimes it feels like yesterday um so um i'd met con in singapore he's from the uk as well so we met out there and our big love the reason why we kind of get on straight away was because we were both competing at triathlon at the time. Yeah. So that's what how we kind of sparked our initial conversation. And then we did loads of training together. So we ran loads, we cycled lots. Um, he didn't really like swimming with me, <laughs> but um, I would try not to coach him. And um, we just, we had loads of ventures together. And um, in... The Easter of 2013, we came back to the UK. Um, I hadn't introduced him to my family yet because we were obviously living on different side of the world. So he came and met my family um, and he met my grandparents. And then I went over to visit his family. Um, and on the way home, we had a stop off in Paris, which was a surprise to me. So that was amazing. We had a week there and it was, you know, one of those kind of like fairy tale moments. Yeah. Um, and then a month later, um he went out for a training ride I went to an early training session to coach um and he never came back so he was hit off his bike um it was a head-on collision and it was um it was instant so of all of the blessings I you know take that it was um instant and he wasn't in any pain um but I got the call um 
from the police. Luckily, I was with um, our best sort of mutual friends. So mm. I wasn't on my own. Mm. Um, but I suppose I don't really remember much of the first 48 hours. Um, I, you know, it kind of was a blur. Really, probably like the first couple of months were a blur. Um, yeah. But I did have to identify his body, which is the biggest traumatic bit for me and that's the PTSD that I have struggled with over the years and sure you know still kind of need help with um mm. and I think just the systems over in Singapore it wouldn't have be how it would be here yeah you know so um you're in a waiting room with hundreds of other people waiting to identify bodies and they show you uh pictures of the scene and things like that and the state I was in I was just wasn't able to process it and Mm. say I don't want to see that and things like that so um I think just the way it was handled is just different different cultures and they deal with you know bereavement in a different way so yeah um and you know there's loads of different stages to grief and everyone goes through it differently at different rates and um I really tried to put as much positivity into it as I could um I raised money for Barclays. So he worked for Barclays and we did um, like a cycle for charity and his charity, we did it for um, disability sport in Singapore. We did a big bike ride, which getting back on the bike was mm. just a big hurdle in itself. Sure. Um, and just, yeah, I just, it's, it's difficult to say how do you process it because there's so many steps along the way. Um, I definitely went through a really rebellious phase where I just didn't really care about myself, um, went out partying a lot, but still worked like completely overworked, lost too much weight, overtrained, you know, mm. those kind of classic signs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like I've maybe gone full circle now because, um, you know, helping people with that grief is something yeah. I'm really passionate about um sure. and you just you always just have to sit in it and feel it I think that's really important so what I would say to people is you've got to feel it mm. to process it and then try to work through it you can't shut it out because it will stay no. there I think well firstly thank you for being so detailed and open about that um can't imagine what that feels like to go through that but I do feel that you're right around acknowledging it not accepting it but recognizing it's there mm. feeling it and process you know you can't process it but you've just got to it's almost like, it's like a cloud it can pass and come back and pass and come back it, and, yeah. and, and talking about it as well whereas some people's methodology is is, is, to, is to suppress it or bury it or don't want to talk about it and that just doesn't it's just not going to it's not going to help is it so I think sometimes even though it's absolutely horrific it feels the way that you're approaching it you almost see it's like a something you can educate or teach others on uh, as well as yourself as well and I think I think that's a bit of a gift isn't it it's almost I think sometimes the only way to frame it is that it's happened for uh, for a reason um, at the time and it never will be justified but Hmm. maybe 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 you can use it or you have used it to help help other people in the same situation as well yeah I think um I remember my dad quite early on was not so flippant but he was quite you know life happens it's just the way it is you know it's you know almost unlucky and I just said I just can't I can't <laughs> process it like that it has to be for a reason and there has to be something bigger 
And I've just always mm-hmm. had that. And um, that's been such a big driving force, well, of, of lots of different things, you know, but I, I, I definitely believe that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really admire you um, for that. I mean, so in, in, term, in terms of the stuff that you're doing now, it's, it's quite mindset focused, isn't it as well? Mm. So just, yeah. just talk to me because obviously I, that's what I do as well. And I'd, I'd always love speaking to coaches like you, whether it's in sport or whatever coaching it is, because I think that the energy that we expend, um, you know, there's a duty of care, isn't there? And I, I feel that um, sometimes the advice that we give out, we need to start heeding for ourselves as well. And it's sometimes it's very, it's very yeah. difficult to forget you know uh we're also human beings as well so how have you coped with kind of adding value you know uh delivering good coaching but also making sure that I mean do you have your own coach as well and what are you actually doing now yeah so um I suppose I'm really lucky because my nine to five is with mind we have a lot of support in terms of our own mental health um we have sort of like daily check-ins and if we have difficult conversations then uh there are lots of people we can talk to so in that sense, I'm really lucky because I know that I've got, you know, some of the mm. best people to, to lean Amazing. on. Um, but so my coaching at the moment, I either do before work and sometimes after as well. So kind of stretches my day a bit, but um, I feel like it's really different. So I don't ever feel like I get too... Uh, it's also very new, so I'm not burnt out at the minute, but I don't feel like um, I'm doing this sort of same stuff all day. Yeah. Um, but the coaching, I think because I relate so heavily to the sports side and what it's like having that massive identity crisis, it's almost grieving for the loss of that part of your life and that kind Absolutely. of era. Mm. Um, I just feel like I've got so much empathy for them and I think where I can you know so many people think well I, I I could never go and do that job because I've been you know um in a rowing boat for the last 25 years yeah but you know I was exactly the same and I think when they hear the story or they hear you know uh it's almost like a breakdown of right you know these are our limiting beliefs and this is how yes. we can get through them and this is how we're going to look after you know simple things like job applications and what your cv looks like yeah i think when you break it down to them it seems yeah. so much more manageable I think, um, I think when you said the identity crisis that's really hit home around you obviously kind of you're no longer doing the sport to the level that you wanted to do and you know i think particularly in sport you, you know it's quite age defined isn't it you get to a certain age and you just can't compete at the level that you want to compete and i think a lot of people mm-hmm in that um, industry sector do suffer from uh, the identity crisis or maybe depression around, you know, what the hell am I going to do now? It's the same same with COVID with people lost their jobs and their careers. And it's, so what what advice would you give around people who have gone through that kind of change where they feel like the rug's been pulled from under them, that kind of Mm. stuff? I think the biggest thing is reaching out and talking to people because there's so many people that feel the same way. Um, typically in sport and this is what you know we need to try to change is you know in sport it's a lot about if you talk about mental weakness you're weak or you have an illness or there's something wrong with you when you know our mental the power that we have um mentally is as important if not more than what our physical bodies can do Mm -hmm. so if athletes aren't training their 
you know, mindset, they're missing a massive trick. So, uh, and every athlete, and I think every coach that goes through leaving their sport feels like this, but they just don't necessarily talk about it. So I think reaching out is probably the first thing that I would do is just, even if it's to an old coach, an old teammate, um, you know, just tell someone how you feel. Mm. And then it's, there's lots of places you can go out there. So um, there's an amazing organization called Switch the Play Foundation. And they're a charity and they, they support athletes that are leaving sports. So with yeah. mainly mindset work, but there's loads of different places that you can get the help. But it's just not, I don't think it's very visible at the moment because it's quite new. Hmm. Well, this is why I think it's important. And also from my own experience, I, I built a, a massive 25, 30 million pound business. Uh, it took me sort of nine years to, to do that. But I spent 99% of my time just living, breathing that business. Everything I talked about was that business. And it kind of bit me on the ass in the end. And I think it doesn't matter what sector you're in. I think my advice, and I'm sure you concur with it, is obviously doing what you're doing, you have to be kind of almost razor like resilient and focused disciplined and determined but notwithstanding that i still feel there is an element where you just need to make sure you are in tune with the people around you and you are checking in with them and you and you know you're spending some time with them even even with elite sport i i feel that putting your eggs in one basket is just such a dangerous thing to do yeah yeah and that's the bit the hardest thing because you know Try telling a 17-year-old kid who's in the academy, Liverpool Academy, that, you know, they need to have a backup. And that's where I think we get it wrong because we call it a backup. Mm. It is life. So it all just merges into one. It's like this kind of, the the way people say work-life balance. It's not, it's just life. No, no. no. (laughs) Uh, And it's the same with sport because you never know if you could have a career-ending injury. You never know when, you know, and that's the thing which we need to talk to our youngsters more about. Mm. Um, but even people like, let's take Michael Phelps, who has 23 Olympic gold medals, which is just like, you can't even comprehend that. Yeah, He doesn't need to work a day in his life. He's a retired athlete. He's a millionaire. doesn't need to work. Mm. But he has to wake up every day with purpose. Of and he still has huge, huge mental health, depression issues because he doesn't know what to do with his life now. So it's a massive journey. And it doesn't matter how good you are. If you made it, made it as an Olympic, Olympic athlete, if you meddled, if you didn't, if it doesn't matter what spectrum you're on. I think if you had that mindset that this is my life and this is what I sink four or five hours into every single day since I've mm. been eight. It's huge to sever yourself away from. I think that's 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 a hereditary thing, isn't it? It's it, it's coaches indoctrinate their coaches into thinking, you know, unless you're one hundred percent focused, twenty four seven, living and breathing yeah. this, you're not going to succeed. And that 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 moves into the work environment. And I just think it's such the wrong way to do things. And I, I luckily yeah. and and thankfully, I do think the landscape is changing around. People are realizing that actually you can still be that elite performer, but you, you've got to be a human being. You've got to be grounded as well. Otherwise. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is down to greed, isn't it? And what, I mean, what is success anyway? 23 medals is absolutely fantastic, but 
if you can't actually enjoy if you're not capable of actually enjoying that with your family because you don't know what to do it, it, it doesn't mean anything exactly. does it? you know exactly and i think someone said to me the other day oh you know how are you going to make money from this side side hustle and when do you think it'll be your full-time job and i was like <laughs> well it doesn't have to be right. <laughs> it could just be something that i enjoy doing on the side like it, that is okay and i think especially in sportsmen and women we have this you know we're so goal orientated and everything has to be yeah. you know uh, definable and you have to be accountable and you have to be able to tick the boxes and i think that, that you know even when you move out of there if you don't know how to live life like that in a real rigid box it's yes. it's so it's so hard and scary so i think so much of the work I want to do with younger athletes is to teach them about valuing themselves as a person away from what they do in their sport mm. so that when the sport ends, you know, yeah. obviously we can all be recreational and that's the best way to have to, to do sport is to just love it and do it when you want to do it. Yeah. But if you've got that understanding of who you are as a person, you know, outside of sport yes. then when you leave it 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 will be it will be easier it was never going to be easy but i mean it is about purpose isn't it i think i think again sportsmen or you know if, if you're a footballer it's about how many league titles you might have won if you're a, a swimmer or, or a runner how many gold medals you've got or if you're in business it's how many awards you've got or how how much turnover you've got yeah but actually, once you're through that, and personally, once I achieved my turnover and my awards, and it was like every time I got there, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. What I'm doing now, I feel richer and more fulfilled now in, in compassion, empathy, purpose, and uh, gratitude. Uh, and it's a much better feeling. So I feel that um, one thing COVID has done, it has leveled the playing field. And I think there is less hierarchy. <laughs> what I don't want to be misunderstood around is that you need to have dreams you need to have aspirations but i think 1990 or 1980 it was about what car you drive what house you've got what yeah. watch you've got that was that was a definition of success mm -hmm. success is subjective it's not objective in my opinion and i think it is about tapping in and saying look when you are about to die what legacy do you want to have for me it's about leaving an impact a lasting impact on as many people as possible and if i've got yeah. a nice house a nice car as well that's great but it's not the number one priority yeah, that's it. And I think, yeah, more than ever, I kind of understand that my happiness looks a lot different to other people's version mm. of happy. Um, and for me, you know, it's it's my loved ones that, well, to, it's my health to begin with, because if you don't have health, you can't do anything. <laughs> so yep. it's my health first, and then it's the people that I love that are in my life. And then it's the purpose after that, you know, and, Definitely. and it is waking up and of course, a job is still a job. You yeah. know, I can have a purposeful job, but I still might get up on a Monday and be like, really? But, you <laughs> yeah. know, most of the time, and I think that's where the discovery comes, is most of the time you have to know that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. For, and I go back to that kind of soul thing. I don't know how else to describe it. No. <laughs> but, you but know, tapping into your soul. I think you're right. I think, and that, that's how you stay on track because even if you do define your purpose, things can change. Your purpose can change. Situations can change, and you can and you can you can you can wobble off track. And I think I think mm. doing those daily rituals, putting your feet on the ground, and feeling in tune with your core and your soul, and it's it's actually it's so important because everyone can talk a good game. And actually, social media is a is a bit of a is a bit of a mask, you know. 
I know for a fact, a lot of people on I know a lot of people on social media that that portray themselves as one thing, but behind that social media mask, they they are somebody else as well. And I think mm. it is about being true to yourself and putting yourself first in a selfless way, like what you've said about making sure you know you're doing the right things first, so you can actually help others. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think um, going back to that whole social media that. I'm, I'm hoping that there's a bit of a change happening in social media now and you hear more and more sort of influencers and celebrities saying, oh, I'm ditching the smartphone, I'm going back to the old Nokia and things like that. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I really hope that that actually does happen. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I had a time on social media where I was just obsessed with likes and I would spend, you know, an hour after a run trying to get the right picture and it yes. was just... I would look at the likes and be like, oh my gosh, why is no one liking this? And it was all that mm-hmm. external validation. Yeah. And I just had to come off of all of it. Um, and that I've only been on LinkedIn for, I don't know, three or four months now. Yeah. Um, and Instagram for about a week. <laughs> so, but I think now because uh, I have a different, uh, you know, relationship with myself. Yes. Um, I very much use it. Uh, it's a function, you know, for work and for inspiration, but that's where it finishes. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think we, Anit, I would hope that we do more with our young, you know, young generation coming through around the benefits of social media because it, it has many benefits. I think you're right. I think I, I myself have fallen into that trap. I've only came back on LinkedIn about nine months ago. Done yeah, quite, I heard that. Done quite well, and up until I'll be completely honest with you, up until about four weeks ago, I have to admit that I was getting obsessed and and, and addicted to it, and mm. wanting to get the the next like and the next. And I went through a bit. That of That dopamine hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, went through that. I went through that and actually recognised it. Now I still love it, but I control it. It doesn't control me. Right. Uh, so it's 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 a, it's a relatively important necessity in my life in terms of what I do, but it's not mm-hmm. such a necessity that it's the be all and end all. But secondly, I think I think you talked about social media. I mean, I'd I'd love a complete reform in the education sector system around why isn't there a program for mental health? Why isn't there a program for social media? Why isn't there pro- a, a, pro- a program on purpose and money management and all that kind of stuff? I feel that. Yeah. I feel that the tide is changing, though. What, what I'm encouraged by on LinkedIn and the stuff you mentioned on on, on Insta is that, that there is uh, a sea change around a bit more authenticity and people mm-hmm. using it in the right way as well. So I I'm encouraged actually that um, the, the mental health has come into the fore a lot more, which is which actually warms my heart because we're both passionate about it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I definitely have felt it I think the generation that is at university now I think they feel very differently about it yeah um watching their younger siblings that are like obsessed with TikTok and um Snapchat which is just Mm. way beyond me (laughs) Um, (laughs) it just feels like the generation gap has just got wider and wider um but I think they definitely see it differently and um I know a couple of people have said to me lately you know if I was back 14 15 16 now Mm. I don't think I would cope at all um with social media so I think there is a change I think our young 20s are figuring that out but um it has to come from the top doesn't it It has to come from the top I think what's helping is it's coming from the top but I think um if if the content is like this then it's kind of insightful impactful and resonating and um 
purpose-led then it actually bring the more of that the better and that's when it that's when it doesn't matter right. how much you consume does yeah. it so but um, an amazing amazing conversation i think we could chat a lot longer before we kind of go is there any kind of parting words of advice you'd like to give anyone kind of trying to pivot their career or, or, or going through some some adversity um just any kind of sort of uh, lasting words that you'd like to leave the audience with oh um i just think be as authentic and listen to yourself as much as you can. I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've been able to take from the last year um, is you, your soul knows and you've just got to try to find it and listen to it. And if your soul is telling you, you know, uh, I talk about LinkedIn a little bit because when I first went on LinkedIn, I was absolutely terrified. Uh, I didn't want to post. And when I did post, I would just had no idea what I was going to say but the moment I started being truly myself was the moment that people understood what I was saying came forward and that's when you have the great conversations so listen to the person that's really in there and follow what you want to do and it will work out (laughs) it does work out doesn't it um absolutely you've just got to kind of it's almost having that braveness to be vulnerable um and to say what you really really feel and then you'll find your person and that person will show you you know you'll find your people and your audience that way that's that's massive that's really hit home for me that's that's the journey that I went on I'm still going on to an extent but you're right once you once you've got that that confidence just to just to be yourself and it's, it's amazing how how much people come back and, and kind of respect that and people can see whether you're being authentic or not these days and you, you're oh, yeah yeah you're you're a great um uh example of, of, of authenticity i've love i love your content it's, it's brilliant oh thanks uh, i love yours too <laughs> no problem well it's an absolute pleasure i really enjoyed that we'll have to do a follow-up um where yeah. can, where can people find you is it mainly on linkedin or yeah linkedin instagram is lock in purpose underscore lock underscore yes. got you lock with an e um but yeah, it's uh, LinkedIn is mainly where I'm at. Yeah. Fantastic. Rebecca, absolute pleasure. Looking forward to catching up again soon as well. Thank you so much. No problem. You too. Thanks so much, Chris. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Bincherry. Bincherry are all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with Bincherry because honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive plug into my calendar and email and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Purpose and Leadership Podcast listeners get 25% off Bincherry's onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at bincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.